to see you all here, and to those who are out-of-town guests, welcome. So glad you joined us this morning. If you would, you should have gotten a bulletin coming in. Uh, pull out your sermon outline. You can follow along with the message this morning. The title of the message today is that God can handle it. How many of y'all ever been in a situation where something was just too big to handle? Anybody felt that way before? Something that you were dealing with in life? It just seemed insurmountable. It didn't seem like you were going to be able to get through to the other side. I think we can all relate to that sentiment in our lives. There's something I wanted to share with you. And keep in mind, this is in the olden days, when the, the old-time automobiles. But I'm going to share with you a story uh, from Pontiac, uh, the car company. I wanted to share with you something that I thought was pretty interesting. And it kind of goes in line with what... Okay. I'm trying to get what I wanted to talk about this morning. Um, sorry, having a little technical difficulty here. All right, so we all know a true professional keeps going no matter what happened, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so anyway, I wanted to share with you a story from the company Pontiac um, that I think goes in line with what we're talking about today. And it goes like this. One of the reasons, one of the recent problems don't, one of the reasons problems don't get solved is that too often we misunderstand the true nature of the problem. Take the following story, a favorite at General Motors, about a complaint received by Pontiac. The customer's letter to the president of the Pontiac division is as follows. So the, re- the president of Pontiac is receiving a letter uh, from a customer. And keep in mind, these are the old time cars. Listen to what the letter says. This is the second time I have written you, and I don't blame you for not answering me because what I have to say sounds kind of crazy. But it is a fact that we have a tradition in our family of ice cream for dessert after dinner each night. But the kind of ice cream varies. So every night after we've eaten, the whole family votes on which kind of ice cream we should have, and I drive down to the store to get it. And so basically this guy's writing letters saying, hey, we have a tradition. Every night after dinner we have ice cream. I go to the store and get it. The letter continues. It's also a fact that I recently purchased a new Pontiac, and since then, my trips to the store have created a problem. You see, every time I buy vanilla ice cream, when I start back from the store, my car won't start. If I get any other kind of ice cream, the car starts fine. It's got a problem. Every time there's an issue, he gets uh, vanilla ice cream, there's a problem with the car. He continues, he says, I want you to know I'm serious about this question, no matter how silly it sounds. Where is there a pon- what is there about a Pontiac that makes it not start when I get vanilla ice cream and easy to start whenever I get any other kind? The Pontiac president was understandably skeptical about the letter, but sent an engineer to check it out anyway. The latter was surprised to be greeted by a successful, obviously well-educated man in a fine neighborhood. He had arranged to meet the man just after dinner time, so the two hopped into the car and drove to the ice cream store. It was vanilla ice cream that night, and sure enough, after they came back to the car, it wouldn't start. So now the engineer's involved. He's like, what's what's going on here? It's vanilla ice cream. Car's not starting. Sure enough, they go to the store, gets vanilla ice cream. Car's not starting. The letter continues. The story continues. The engineer returned for three more nights. The first night, the man got chocolate. The car started. The second night he got strawberry. The car started. The third night he ordered vanilla. Again, the car failed to start. Now, the engineer, being a logical man, refused to believe that this man's car was allergic to vanilla ice cream. He arranged, therefore, to continue his visits for as long as it took to solve the problem. 
And toward, the, and toward this end, he began to take notes. He jotted down all sorts of data, time of day, type of gas view, time to drive back and forth, etc. In a short time, he had a clue. The man took more time to buy any other flavor than vanilla. Why? The answer was in the layout of the store. Vanilla, being the most popular flavor, was in a separate case at the front of the store for quick pickup. All the other flavors were kept in the back of the store at a different counter where it took considerably longer to find the flavor and get checked out. Now the question for the engineer was why the car wouldn't start when it took less time. Once time became the problem, not the vanilla ice cream, the engineer quickly came up with the answer, and the answer was vapor lock. Uh, It was happening every night, but the extra time taken to get the other flavors allowed the engine to cool down sufficiently to start. When the man got vanilla, the engine was still too hot for the vapor lock to dissipate. And so what seemed to be this unbelievable problem turned out to be a simple, it turned out to be a simple solution to this particular problem. How many of y'all have ever had a situation in your past, maybe, where you're just like, I'm, there's no way I'm going to get through this. You ever had that thought before? There's no way we're going to make it through this. There's no way I can see light at the end of the tunnel. And then now you look back and you see, like, wow, I did make it through that. Things did get better. You know, the pain did go away. Uh, we did recover from that situation. And the point I want to be talking about today is that God can handle the things we can't handle. God can solve the situations we can't solve. And as you read this passage with me in Luke 18, you're going to be like, how in the world are we going this direction with a message? I'll share in a second. The passage in Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34, and it says, Jesus predicts his death a third time. Most of you all know the story about Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He was God. In the flesh, he came to earth. And he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins and our place. And in this particular passage, this is actually Jesus predicting what he's going to do in his life. Look, at it, look what it says in your notes in Luke 18, verses 31 through 34. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. And for those of you who don't know, a Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. And it says... The Jewish people at this time referred to people who were not Jewish as Gentiles. So technically, I'm a Gentile because I'm not Jewish. So he says he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. And this is a self. He's prophesying about himself. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. They're kind of like, what in the world are you talking about? And he's referring to himself as the Son of Man, and he talks about this horrible future that awaits him. It's essentially what's going on. So I was reading this passage, and obviously there's a gospel message there, Jesus sharing what he's about to do. But one of the things that stood out to me is that Jesus knew his future, and he knew the potential problems that were going to await him. And not only did he know these things were happening, he actually embraced his fate and his purpose for being here. So point number one I wanted to talk about is that God can handle what's ahead in your life. No matter what you're going through, maybe it's a relational problem, maybe it's a financial problem. We all have all sorts of problems. Maybe it's a work-related type issue. We all have issues we deal with on a regular basis in our lives. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you're in that kind of there's no light at the end of the tunnel, I want to tell you this morning there is light at the end of the tunnel. I know a couple weeks ago we had 
uh, pastor share with us, uh, give his testimony about how there's a story that's all over the news locally. And he shared about how he and his son were working a job in North Charleston and uh, two young men came in and just for whatever reason ended up shooting both of them. And the pastor lived to tell about it, but his son passed away in this tragic shooting, this senseless murder of these, uh, this innocent person just working, just working a job. And I hear two intruders come in. They say it was to rob them. They don't, I don't know uh, if that's the full story. But one of the things that happens is so the pastor ends up getting shot, and he knows his son's dead. Uh, him and his wife are just faced with a daunting future. Can you imagine? I mean, you think what the, the, the good part about hearing a story like this is it takes what I think might be a big problem in my life and it totally minimizes it. How many of y'all can do that? Whether you hear a story like that, you're like, okay, what I'm going through is not really that insurmountable after all. And one of the things he shared with us is how. In this moment, you know, you, you ever heard that? He shared, he talked about this a little bit, how people share that expression, um, God will never give you more than you can handle. Maybe you've heard that kind of catchphrase a little bit. And one of the things he shared about that is, hey, so a lot of times people are well-intentioned when they say that, right? No one's saying that to be rude, right, or disrespectful. They kind of try, it come, usually comes from a place from, of encouragement toward a person. And one of the things he was basically saying in a nice way is like, Hey, nothing can be further from the truth. And he talked about how uh, in the aftermath of the shooting they were dealing with, uh, he and his wife both came to an agreement like, we can't make it through this on our own. We can't make it through this on our own. And maybe you're in a situation that's not nearly that great, but maybe you're in a situation where you're kind of, you are got to throw your hands up in there. You've been doing things in your own strength. You've been doing things in your own power. It's not working the way you're hoping it would. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to say, you know what? Reach out to a higher power. You know, it might not be that quick fix you want, but having God's power and help in your life makes a world of difference. I've seen it happen in my life, and I've seen it happen in the lives of others. And one of the hardest things for a person to do is to have that humility that they can't handle on their own and to reach out for God's help in the situation. That's one of the hardest things for the human heart to do is say, to humble itself. You know what, Lord? I can't handle this. Like the song says, Lord, I need you. Uh, that's one of the most difficult things for a person to do is to make that spiritual transaction that involves humility and reaching out because I can't handle this on my own. Most people don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. They think they got it all together and they just, you know, I got this covered. And what happens is things just keep not working out. Things keep getting worse. I want to encourage you, if that's you this morning, reach out. Show humility. Reach out for God's help. Point number would be a sub-point I put in your notes is don't let a little fog intimidate you. Sometimes the fog, you ever been in like a dense fog, driving in a dense fog before? It can be kind of intimidating if you're, I mean, some, sometimes they're lighter than others, right? You can still kind of see. Some of them are so dense, you're like, you know, turning on your light, you know, are you even supposed to turn on your lights? Does it make the fall away? You know, all that stuff going on, especially at night, you know, what's going on here? Listen to this. I want to share with you a little bit about fog that I didn't know before. Maybe, maybe you've studied in depth on fog. Anybody an expert in fog? <laughs> uh, no, I wasn't. So I want to share this kind of an interesting fact about fog. According to the Bureau of Standards in Washington, a dense fog covering seven city blocks to a depth of 100 feet is composed 
of less than one glass of water. So a fog that's covering seven city blocks and up to 100 feet is actually saying, this is saying it's one glass of water. Listen to this. That amount of water is divided into about 60 billion tiny droplets. Yet when those minute particles settle over a city or the countryside, they can almost blot out everything from your sight. And it goes on to say, because it was written in a devotional piece, it says, many Christians today live their lives in a fog. They allow a a cup full of troubles to cloud their vision and dampen their spirit. Anxiety, turmoil, and defeat strangle their thoughts. Their lives are being choked by the cares of this world, but God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Let's not let the fog get us down. Let's live in the sunshine. I wanted to share with you another story from a woman. I came across a blog as I was doing a little research for this message. It was written by a woman named Christina Fox. And she wrote a blog titled God's Wisdom and Decision Making. And she shared a time in her life in which she was walking through a fog of sorts. Listen to what she writes. She says, Have you ever had to make an important decision and felt stuck as to what to do? Maybe you can relate to that. Perhaps you stood at a crossroads with two paths before you and you didn't know which one to take. You may have asked yourself questions like, do I take this or that, this job or that job? Sell the house or stay? Trust the doctor or get a second opinion? Serve in this ministry or another? Send our children to this school or that school? Have our parent move in or find them alternative living arrangements? Listen to what she says. When my thyroid biopsy came back as inconclusive, the doctor recommended surgery. He said it was only the only way to know for certain whether the growth was cancerous or not. He gave me the numbers and statistics, none of which I understood, and said we could remove the growth or wait and see, but he recommended surgery. I had a decision to make. Do I have the surgery or do I test and retest and wait and see? Do I trust the numbers and statistics Do I trust the doctor? I don't know about you, but when I have a decision to make, my mind is consumed with it. Anybody can relate to that? Your mind ever consumed with a decision to make? She continues, said, my mind is consumed with it. It vacillates back and forth between the options. It's all I can think about. I worry and fret and mull over it. I lie awake at night unable to sleep. Anybody relate to that? You're just so consumed with a decision. You can't even sleep. She said, I consider all the potential consequences to the choices. What I want most of all is for a clear answer to step up and knock me on the head. Because what I really fear is making the wrong choice. And so I wondered, what is God's will in this? What does he want me to do? So she's facing a decision that she didn't know what to do. She had no clue what she was supposed to do. And you could probably survey this room and everybody have a different opinion on what she should or shouldn't do. But she was worried about her own health and what do I need to do here in this tumultuous situation. This could be life-threatening This can, if it comes back cancerous. She continues, she concludes the article. She says, in the end, I chose to have surgery. And I'm thankful to report that the growth was not cancerous. Though it wasn't an easy decision to make, the process of thinking and praying through the decision reminded me of my need for Christ, my dependence upon Him, and His daily provision of grace for me. I rested in the truth of His sovereignty and that nothing would happen apart for His will for me. I'm certain that more difficult decisions loom on the horizon for me and they do for all of us. 
But God has provided all we need for the journey and we can move forward in confidence, not in ourselves and in our own wisdom, but in the wisdom of Christ revealed to us in the Word. Maybe you're here today and you're dealing with a decision or decisions on the forefront of your mind. Maybe you're kind of like Sheila. You can't even sleep. You're thinking of these things all the time. Should we do this? Take that job. Should we go here? Should we do this? Should I move forward with this? And there's a lot of times in life we don't really know what to do. But I want to encourage you, if you're in that situation, to pray uh, and to seek God's will on what you should do in that situation. Look at Proverbs 4, 6 in your notes. It says, do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. And there's another passage in James that says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God and he will give generously to all those who come to him. So I want to encourage you, if you're in a situation where you're lacking wisdom, you're not sure what to do, I encourage you to pray about the situation. And kind of the sub-point number C that ties into all this is sometimes patience is your friend. How many of y'all have ever gotten impatient and made a mistake? Anybody ever made a mistake? You look back, you're like, wow, that was totally due to my impatience in my life. And I don't know if any of y'all keep up with college football at all. I share a little bit about like following it, even though my team's had a terrible year. And please pray for me. I'm kind of recovering from a beating I watched yesterday. As some of y'all know that feeling. But one of the things that's kind of new in college football is this thing called the transfer portal. You heard of that before? Like where a player, like, I'm not happy over here. You know, maybe they didn't give me the playing time I wanted and they just transfer and it's gotten easier for players to transfer. They used to have to like sit out a year before they got to play. Now it's gotten easier for them to transfer and find immediate playing time. Sometimes in life, how many of y'all have ever wanted to transfer portal out of a situation? I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm tired of this relationship. It just doesn't seem to work. We want to transfer out of there. We want to basically find an easy way to get out of a difficult situation. If that's you or been you in your life, I want to encourage you. Sometimes we start looking for a ticket out of situations, and sometimes we need to be looking for that ticket through a situation. Instead of looking at that situation, I want to get away from it. Try looking at it and say, you know what, I want to work through this. I want to move forward with this situation and not let impatience with the process uh, deter me from moving forward or, or sticking it out when things get tough. I know my grandparents have since passed away, but they made it to 70 years of marriage. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. 70 years. I mean, they were in that generation. They got married very young. They were very lived in rural countryside, you know, in South Carolina. Uh, and so that generation, not only that generation, but that area, you know, people tended to get married really young. So they made it 70 years. And, you know, I never, being a grandchild, I never sit there and had in-depth conversations about marital problems with my grandparents. Maybe some of y'all have that relationship, and that's great. I never had that kind of relationship. It was more just being a grandchild and just, you know, they were there. If I needed anything, kind of a situation. I got The good part is they moved closer uh, when they got older and couldn't really take care of themselves. So I got to spend a lot of time with them. Here's one of the things I know without a shadow of a doubt, without even talking to my grandparents about them. I know they had times where they either one of them wanted to quit. There's no question in my mind. At some point along the way, one or both of them were like... I can't do this anymore. I'm done with this person. 
I guarantee at some point they probably had that type of situation. But, you know, looking back now, I can see now they were totally role models for me because I know that they stuck it out when things got hard. And we live in a society now, it's like, well, I'm not happy. And it's all about my happiness. Everything's about happiness-based Instead of sticking it out, trying to honor commitments that we make to one another, people often just like, you know what? I'm out. You know, it's not working. You know, they don't even give it a, they don't even try to work it out. They don't even try to go to counseling. You know, there's certain situations I'll say, you know what? If there's physical abuse uh, and other types of, you know, cheating and all that stuff, you could say, you know what? Maybe there is, you know, maybe take a time out or something like that and seek counsel on whether or not this marriage is even salvageable. I'm not, I'm not saying that every marriage is salvageable. But sometimes in life, we get impatient and we need to stick out certain things. Listen to this story I wanted to share with you. It's actually written about an elevator. A new company was starting and they, they built, they had an elevator, they had this nice new building. I want to share with you the story because I think it applies to our own life. It says this, Edward de Bono, the Oxford exponent of lateral thinking, suggests that when we can't solve a problem using traditional methods, methods we should, try, we should try detours and reversals, anything that will give us a different angle from which to ponder solutions. To illustrate, he tells his, this story about a problem faced by executives of a large company. So listen to this problem that this new company, this big company was having. The company had moved into a new skyscraper and discovered that the builder apparently had not put in enough elevators. Employees were disgruntled because there were long waits for the elevators, especially at both ends of the working day. The, the, company, the, the company got a cro- wide cross-section of the staff together and asked them to sit down and solve the problem. The task force came up with four possible solutions. So they're basically brainstorming. How do we solve this elevator issue? We didn't think this through beforehand. Now we've got people who are just you know, waiting forever to get on the elevator. So here's their four solutions they get together as a staff. Number one is speed up the elevators or arrange for them to stop at certain floors during rush periods. Number two, stagger working hours to reduce elevator demand at the end of the day. And listen to this odd one. Number three, install mirrors around entrances to all elevators. Doesn't that seem kind of an odd solution? We've got you know, too many people using the elevators. Let's put some mirrors up. That's basically what they're saying. Number four, drive a new elevator shaft through the building. In order to build another shaft for an elevator. And it goes on and says, which solution would you have chosen? According to Professor DeBono, if you choose the first, second, or fourth solutions, then you are a vertical or traditional thinker, if you, which I would have chosen one, two, or four. This would have been my way I would have gone. It says, if you choose the third possibility, which is, hey, let's put some mirrors around the elevators, it says, then you are a lateral thinker. The vertical thinker takes the narrow view. The lateral thinker has a broader view. After some consideration, the company chose the third solution. So they chose the option to put more mirrors up. Listen to this. It worked. And he says, people became so preoccupied with looking at themselves or surreptitiously at others that they no longer noticed the wait for the elevator. The problem was not so much the lack of elevators as the impatience of the employees. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> Putting mirrors up solved this crisis because people like to look at themselves or kind of peek at somebody else in line or whatever. And it kind of made, I guess it made the time go by a little faster. Sometimes in life, the point I want to get to with all this 
is sometimes in life we need a different view of things that we're dealing with. Sometimes those problems, and a lot of times what I saw is just insurmountable problem, future look bleak, was really just a perspective problem in my own life, that things aren't ever going to get better. When the reality is a lot of times when we stick with it, when we reach out that hand for God's help, things can and will get better if we hang in there. Point number D I want to talk about. If you want change, we need to make better decisions. How many of y'all have ever gotten into a problem because of bad decisions? You know, one of the things I started listening to recently is uh, Dave Ramsey. Y'all have heard of Dave Ramsey before? He's kind of like a financial guru. He's got a podcast. If you're interested in kind of sharpening your financial acumen, I'd encourage you to check him out. And one of the things he deals with is he's basically his podcast is kind of a call-in show. People are calling in with all sorts of issues or problems. You know, that they're dealing with financially. And he's pretty, he's a lot ruder or cruder than I would be. You know, he's kind of like, oh, the reason you did this is because you're, you're dumb. You know, you, you made that decision. You got 10 credit cards. I remember not too long ago, I was listening to somebody who got like, who's in like $30,000 of debt and had 10 credit cards. So basically like she'd run out of limit on one, she'd get another credit card. He's basically like, you're, you're dumb. <laughs> he's, I wouldn't quite go that far. But how many of y'all know we can make poor decisions that get us into certain pickles in life? I know recently we had to make a car purchase. And, you know, I'll be perfectly honest and transparent. A lot of times as men, we don't want to admit that something would be a fine. You know, we want to act like, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'll buy a good Lexus. It's no problem. I can handle it. You know, so. But I'll be honest, we got two young kids who just gracefully exited the building. <laughs> uh, those are mine. And uh, so anyway, you know, with two young kids, you got to think things through financially. And so, I, you know, we thought things through. And I bought what I would consider a modest but nice car that fits my needs. Okay, and I remember speaking of Dave Rand, I remember she was basically going off. I don't know who it was that called him on one time, but he's basically going off on people because a lot of times, this happens a lot of times, and if you can afford a nice, go for it. You know, no one's saying don't have nice things at all, but he's basically going off on people for buying like these, these men who buy these nice, beautiful trucks that are almost as much as their mortgage, and the reality is they can't even afford them. And he's basically going on out of his saying, you know, you buy, you get in this car payments you can't even afford just because you want to look good at the stoplight in front of people you've never met in your life and keep up these appearances, what he was kind of going with, going at in life. And one of the things you can kind of see a lot of times even financially, relationally, you know, you ever heard somebody before who's mad at God for a decision they make? And as a pastor, sometimes that kind of irks me a little bit. Well, if God's so good, why don't I get stuck in this terrible relationship? Well, you know, God probably is warning you. God probably sent your family. Your mom was probably telling you, don't date Johnny. He's a, he's a jerk. Get away from him. You ever seen people that have done that? And they end up in this relationship that's just not very good or healthy. And then they look back and they blame. They get mad at God when they were the ones who made the decision all along. We can do that sometimes in our lives if we're not careful. But the good news is is that Jesus paid it all on the cross for all of our messes, any mistakes we make. The good news is that Jesus, when He went to the cross, He didn't do that for Himself. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to go through this horrible, horrible situation just to set this nice example. He went through this horrible death on the cross because we're broken, we're flawed, and we need Him. And I don't know about you, but that's not hard for me to admit. So I, I live with this guy 24-7. I'm with Blair Gibson, and I see you know, some of my thoughts aren't always good thoughts. 
Some of the things I say aren't always good things to say. There's been times where I could have held... You ever been in a situation where you look like, like I, I probably could have held my words back a little bit. I'm, I'm guilty of those things. I'm a broken person. But Jesus paid it all on the cross. And there's people... There's actually people out there that would be skeptical of the Christian, what is known as the doctrine of sin, this idea that we're broken. It doesn't matter, you know, Christians call it sin, but you can pretty much talk to anybody on the streets and say, you know, are you a perfect person? Say that. I think most people are like, no. Some people might joke and say, well, I'm kind of close, you know, kind of like that. But most people would recognize I'm a flawed person. I have flaws. I make mistakes. That fits in with the Christian narrative. Of, of sin, whether you define it as that or not, or whether people who are not Christians define it as that. I think most people look around and say, all right, this world is flawed, right? right? Uh, look what the quote says that Malcolm Muggeridge says, and send your notes. He says this about this whole idea about people being cynical toward the whole idea that we're flawed. He says, the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time the most intellectually resisted fact. He's basically saying, look around, look at, read a newspaper and see the evil that's going on around the world, uh, killings, all these horrible things. I mean, it's sad to me, and I know it is to all of you as well, like, we're living in an age now where school shootings are, like, becoming normal. I mean, can you believe this? I mean, I remember I was actually a senior in high school when the Columbine shooting happened. I was like, I don't know if that was the first, that was one of the first shootings in schools, and now it's, like, becoming this... I don't know. What, I don't even want to call it a trend because I don't want to speak life of it. It's becoming so regular. It's like, it, oh, it happened again. You know, it's, it's awful to see what's going on. But the good news is, in spite of our flaws, in spite of our humanity, Christ loves us. And people may say, well, I'm not like that. I'm not out doing that. But at the end of the day, Jesus didn't die because you're some horrible, horrible mass murder. He died because you're a broken person in need. Of saving, and I know I came to a point in my life where I realized, you know, I wasn't some uh, looking back. I wasn't this hard. I was kind of an average, normal guy, but I realized that I had some problems. I had some issues, and I had some sin in my life, and I asked God to forgive me. And that's one. Of, speaking of humility, for that's one of the most difficult things for people. The decisions that people make is saying, "You know, God, I need you to forgive me." Because a lot of people, how many of y'all are good at admitting you're wrong? Ever been an argument? Hey, I'm wrong. Yeah, there's been times in my life where like, Brian and I are having a discussion, if you will, and it turns out you ever get to the point where you realize she's totally right. You know, it's over something stupid. You know, she's totally right. It's, not, it's hard to backtrack. Say, All right, you were right in that situation. And the same is true in our relationship with God. It's hard for us to say, you know what, God, I'm flawed. I'm imperfect. You died on the cross for me. I ask you to forgive me. That's one of the most difficult decisions. We can make. Let's pray as we think through these things and going through, go into a time of response during this time. Heavenly Father, thank you for each person here this morning. And maybe there's people who are kind of dealing with a fog in their own life. Maybe the message resonated on some level with something they're dealing with, and they don't, they can't see through to the end of the tunnel. They can't, they can't see through the fog in their life. They can't see any way. Things are going to get better and improve. I pray that you would give them a different perspective. You would give them your perspective over the situation or problem or decision they're working through. That you would give them wisdom on what to do. That you would that they would reach out in humility to you.
Say, you know what, Lord, I don't have it all together. I need you in my life. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're dealing with something in your life that maybe I didn't even touch on this morning. I just want to take a moment and just as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just take a moment and talk to God from your heart about anything that you feel like you could use as help on. So I just want to give everybody a moment just of quiet right now. Lord, I just want to pray over any prayers that were offered, any petitions for help. I pray that you would provide that help. Give them strength. Help them through whatever it is that they've been struggling with. Show them light at the end of the tunnel. Give them a different perspective. Give them your perspective over that situation they're dealing with. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for us because we are flawed individuals in need of help. We thank you for the forgiveness you provide to those who ask. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.